Welcome to the Sacred Palette Podcast. I am your host, Shaheen Rahman. I am an artist and part of the Islamic Art Society, a US-based nonprofit that promotes the beauty of Islamic arts. This podcast is a way to connect with artists that are creating Islamic art here in the US. Through interviews and unique stories, you will get to hear about their special journey and creativity. From calligraphy to geometric patterns to arabesque and much more, the podcast will provide a glimpse into what it's like to create beautiful and amazing works of Islamic art right here, right now in the United States. So let's get started. Hello everyone and welcome to a special episode of The Sacred Palette. The past few episodes have been featuring artists who are creating Islamic art here in the U.S. But it's just as important to highlight those individuals who educate the general public about the field of Islamic arts today. Those who have been working conscientiously to present and showcase Islamic art in museums for the wider community. Dr. Amy Froome is one of those individuals. She's the curator of Art of Islamic Lands at the Museum of Fine Arts, Houston, and a lecturer at Rice University. In 2015, she reinstalled and expanded the Islamic Art Permanent Galleries and the Al Sabah Collection at the Museum of Fine Arts, Houston. There are now over 300 works of Islamic art on view. Formerly the Hagop Kevorkian Associate Curator of Islamic Art at the Brooklyn Museum, Dr. Fromm has consulted for leading museums including the Aga Khan Museum in Toronto, the British Museum in London, and the Réunion des Musées Nationaux in Paris. Dr. Fromm has published numerous articles and books and has lectured widely on the topic of Islamic art. Most recently, she was selected into the prestigious annual fellowship at the Center for Curatorial Leadership, a program that selects curators based on their curatorial achievements and their commitment to expanding audiences. It's such an honor to welcome Dr. Aimee Frum. Hello, Dr. Frum, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Shaheen. It's such an honor for me to be here with you. I think you're doing great work. Thank you so much, and I appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation. I wanted to start out by talking about the definition of Islamic art. Many people seem to be unfamiliar with Islamic art. Can you give us an overview? Sure, I'd be happy to. I have to start out by saying that Islamic art is a bit of a misnomer. It was an academic definition that gained popularity in the 19th century. Um, Islamic art can be considered art that is made by and for Muslims, um, but it's also art that's made uh, not necessarily by Muslims and for people who are not necessarily uh, Muslims. There's a historic traditional definition um, that it is art that came from historically Islamic lands, um, starting in the Arabian Peninsula. Uh, and stretching over time and space, uh, west to Spain, east um, all the way to uh, South Asia and Southeast Asia, north to Central Asia, and then um, south to Sub-Saharan Africa. So it's really a 
a broad um, broad area, but I would say that there are um, several aspects um, of Islamic art. Uh, one, um, probably the most important, is this high regard for the art of the word. Um, and this is the art of the word in many different forms. Uh, most prominently and traditionally would be um, the Quran. And this is calligraphy, um, the art of beautiful writing. Um, but we see this more than just in the written word of the, the Quran manuscript, uh, but written um, or carved out of wood, uh, painted onto tiles, woven into fabrics, um, and then expanding out from there. Other very important universal aspects of Islamic art would be a love for geometry and for the natural world. And this is expressed um, through uh, arabesques, plants, and floral motifs. It seems like it covers a really broad spectrum. So how do we take that very uh, traditional definition and put that in the present day context in such a global world? So for example, how do we define art that's being created here in the U.S. by Muslims and for Muslims? So this is definitely um, Islamic art. And this is what I, I love about this more expansive um, definition, because it really extends beyond boundaries, beyond the physical geographical boundaries and the boundaries of time as well. Um, and it brings in the rich complexity of um, diversity and multiple experiences. So you can have someone who is... Um, either Muslim or not Muslim, who, for example, as you mentioned, living in the U.S. today and really um, reaching their creative uh, potential um, using these themes. Can you share your own personal journey? What brought you to Islamic arts? Well, it was not actually a direct path. Um, when I was in college, I did my uh, junior year abroad um, because I wanted to be able to travel and learn in other cultures and it was on one of my um, trips during this year that I was uh, fortunate to be able to travel to London for the first time and I went to the Victorian Albert Museum and I saw their display of Islamic art um, I have to preface this by saying I was a pre-med major. Um, this was my break from the sciences. I didn't know anything about Islamic art, but I was absolutely fascinated. And I went back to the United States and to my college thinking, I want to learn more. And so I ended up changing fields entirely. Um, and uh, that's how a curator was born. That's uh, such an interesting story. You never know what is going to inspire you at what point in your life. And, and uh, inspiration comes in so many ways. It does. It does. And I, I think no matter what, it's it's important to be open to inspiration and really be um, mindful of where you are um, at every point in the day, because you never know when um, you will be inspired. You're the curator of Arts of the Islamic Lands at Museum of Fine Arts in Houston. So as a curator, what does your work involve? Sure. I would say first and f foremost, um, the work of a curator involves 
um, the caretaking. This was actually um, the first definition of a, a curator as, um, you know, a, really a, a, a keeper or caretaker of a collection. It is our utmost responsibility to safeguard the collection um, that we are entrusted with for future generations. So I always have that in the forefront of my mind. And so this involves um, several different things. The safe uh, display, the safe storage of art, and then also the care, for example, if there are condition issues. We work very closely with conservators. These are the, um, the scientists who um, help us study and treat our art objects. Um, and then in addition to that, um, a lot of my time is spent preparing displays at the museum, temporary exhibitions, and then publication. It's really um, you know, looking towards research, towards a, a better understanding of the collections uh, with which we are entrusted. Are there pieces that you come across that are really challenging to preserve? Yes, there are pieces that are tra challenging to preserve, and uh, my collections are historical, so going up to the, the 19th century. And so these objects have journeyed over time, and sometimes they've had uh, rough passages, shall we say. So a lot of the, the time I work with um, conservators to decide how are we going to best stabilize this object? And if there are parts of a ceramic bowl, for example, uh, that are missing, do we fill those in or do we leave those um, as gaps? Because we don't want to re recreate uh, what is missing, but we want to make sure we stabilize an object and, and we give an idea um, of what the entire object used to be like um, without recreating it. You know, when we look at a piece uh, at the museum, it, it just looks beautiful, but it's good to know that it's been through that extensive process before actually being displayed. And then when we get to the actual display in museum cases, we work with um, our mount maker, who is a real magician. She's the one who creates the mounts that safely cradle the objects. And why I call her a ma uh, magician is that if we don't see the mount, we don't see her work, then she's done her work very well, and she does. <laughs> but we know that our objects are, are safely cradled in their mounts when they're on display. We also work with um, preparators, many of whom are artists themselves and they help us um, move and, and um, install the objects so that they look their best. So it seems like there's a whole production team involved. Yes, there is. Can you tell us a little bit about the Islamic art at the MFAH? How long has this collection been there and how has it evolved over time? That's a great question. We are actually the youngest department at the Museum of Fine Arts Houston. We were founded uh, with an initiative in 2007, and I feel really fortunate um, to move to Houston and be become part of this. Um, it was an, an initiative that started under the former director, Peter Marzio, um, and a group of very dedicated, devoted uh, enthusiasts and patrons of Islamic art. So it's really a homegrown effort that started with a gala, 
um, and just built momentum over the years. And it was a collection that was built from nothing. There was no Islamic art before 2007 at the museum. And so when I arrived in um, 2000, at the very end of 2014, I was tasked by our current director, um, who is a great fan of Islamic art, to expand our presentation. And this was really exciting for me. So we had one uh, small gallery of Islamic art and then one gallery of art from the Al-Sabah collection. And this is a wonderful partnership. Um, it's, I think, unique. Um, it's a very uh, enriching partnership for both of us. This is the um, uh, Islamic art collection of the Al-Sabah of Kuwait. And right now, while their museum is being rebuilt, they have a, a semi-permanent presence here through our long-term partnership um, in Houston. So there were about 60 objects on view when I started, and now we've expanded that to two purpose, um, uh, purposefully devoted galleries to the Al-Sabah collection with over 240 works there. And this allows us to have um, the breadth and the depth of Islamic art on display. It's, they're great teaching galleries. Um, and it also allows the Al-Sabah collection to have um, this visible presence as well. So the Al-Sabah galleries, along with our now two permanent uh, galleries and our growing collection, uh, permanent collection of Islamic art, really um, gives us an active and dynamic presence here in Houston. And then I think we are the largest uh, display in the Southeastern United States as well. So we're really, we've really grown over the last 10 plus years to become a center um, for the display and the study and the teaching of Islamic art. So can you tell us a little bit about what sort of art pieces may we find in this collection? Sure, of course. You'll see everything from um, a Mamluk mosque lamp from the late 13th, early 14th century to 17th century Safavid Iranian carpets to metalwork, um, ceramic bowls that are inscribed um, from the 10th century, to uh, tiles um, from the 16th century, and um, a beautiful, so we have some wonderful new works we just acquired at our last gala through the support of our, our local patrons, um, and our docents too, our docents and our guild members purchased this amazing Ottoman Turkish silk brocade that we've installed, and we'll be um, installing in December some uh, metalwork from the Deccan region of India. So this is the, the plateau region in the south central portion of India. And uh, the metalwork is some of the earliest uh, best metalwork beadryware from the 17th century. So lots of different things. Yeah, it's really wonderful to hear that the displays don't only cover uh, a broad area geographically, but also chronologically as well. Right. And, and one thing I would add, when I, I first came to Houston and I was given the opportunity to, ex to expand the galleries, I really wanted to expand beyond Islamic art. Um, as you know, in museums, you have different galleries for different collections, you know, the European paintings, modern and contemporary. 
I wanted to, um, you know, respect uh, the Islamic art, but also expand uh, beyond the siloed presentation of works. And so I have a special section in one of the permanent galleries called Collections and Conversation. So when you walk into the gallery, you see um, the theme of the art of the word and an, an amazing uh, Moroccan Quran right as you walk in. Um, but when you look beyond the sight line to the far wall of the gallery, you see something on the wall that is not Islamic art. It's been um, in the past a, a 17th century Italian still life painting that had lutes in it. That's, for example, when we had the theme of music. And the idea was to bring in works from other parts of the museum's collections to really evoke and demonstrate our shared humanity. Um, so it's the art of music and the importance of the, the lute, which is, it wasn't invented by um, Muslim musicians, but it was literally walked into Spain by wandering Arab musicians, and that's how it was introduced into Europe. So this, um, you know, connective tissue that really uh, brings us all together. You know, there are a lot of people who visit the museum, and, and so as a curator, how do you engage the audience with the Islamic art displays? And maybe you answered part of that question just now. Well, that's that's a great question. Um, well, first and foremost, I would say is you need to engage um, the the guest with the art, and um, so that's where you know the various team members all come together to have the art looking its absolute best. And so this is um, excellent lighting that's safe by conservation standards, not too much, um, and also display because it's really this one-on-one -on -one interaction between the guest and the art primary. And then in addition to that, um, I would say many different levels. So the didactics in the gallery, the labels um, also help, audio guides, our programming, and we're really blessed to have such wonderful local partnerships, um, which is how I met you with the Islamic Arts Society. Um, I think that really, really adds um, and really enhances significantly um, the engagement with art um, on display in many different ways. When I go into a museum, I often think about why a certain piece of art is next to the other objects in the case. How are the cases arranged? What message is the gallery installation trying to convey? So can you talk a little bit about the presentation of objects in an Islamic art gallery? Is it unique or different in any way? Sure, that's a, that's a good question. So I think um, just as I was mentioning with the collections and conversation, I'm, um, you know, I'm glad you brought that up about you know, thinking why are things juxtaposed. Um, uh, my, my goal is to get people to, to stop um, at the, the, the entrance of that, that first gallery and think, wait a minute, why is there, you know, an Italian painting on the wall, you know, at the, at the, this, this, in this gallery that has a Quran open um, in the front part of the gallery? And I want them to get in. I want them to get thinking, and I want them to draw their own conclusions. Um, and then aside from the collections and conversation, what I'd like to do, um, what we like to do is to, to bring out the general themes and to bring objects together, um, but to really let guests draw their own conclusions and expand outward from there. So for example, 
Um, I think in the El Saba galleries, we have um, a pen box that has a motif that is repeated uh, subtly in a ceramic bowl that's next to it. And so if you're really looking closely, you see that and you see how these motifs are transferred across different artistic uh, mediums. And so when I teach, um, one of the um, assignments I always give is a looking assignment. And I think um, we can all uh, benefit and learn from just slowing down, stopping, looking, and finding connections and really drawing our own um, conclusions. So I want it to be an open-ended visit that inspires um, guests to, to learn more. So what kind of feedback do you get from the museum patrons to this Islamic art exhibit? And perhaps even more generally, how do you think Islamic art is perceived in the West? We've gotten great feedback, very, very positive. I work very closely, um, for example, with our docents. Um, we have a huge team of docents that, that we're really grateful for. They're really our frontline ambassadors, and they're the ones who interact nearly on a daily basis before the pandemic um, with school groups, um, with all sorts of uh, special interest groups who want to book, book tours. And so I work closely training them. They ask me questions. I get feedback from them. And it's been very positive. Um, people love our galleries and want to see more. And I'm happy to say that we will be expanding in about a year or so. We will be expanding the Islamic galleries to um, a much larger presentation. So stay tuned. Definitely something to look forward to. I feel that there seems to have been an explosion of interest in Islamic arts and cultures, say, in the last oh, about 20 years or so. There are several museums in the U.S. that now have Islamic art galleries. So in your opinion, what role do you think museums are playing in showcasing Islamic art here in the U.S.? Oh, I think museums play a vital role in um, uh, exhibiting and promoting uh, Islamic art in the U.S., for me, um, I really believe it's one way that we can build bridges, we can look beyond boundaries, and we can promote understanding, understanding of all cultures. Um, I think it, it's a fabulous uh, conduit. Um, I've got a couple exhibitions coming up this fall. One is a traveling exhibition. It's one we put on in Houston a, a few years ago called Bestowing Beauty Masterpieces from Islamic Lands, from Persian Lands. Um, and this is uh, about 100 masterworks from the Hossein Afshar collection, which like the Al Saba collection is on long-term loan to the Museum of Fine Arts Houston. And I've just been overwhelmed with the, the positive response from venues across the country who um, you know, don't necessarily have permanent collections of Islamic art, but they really feel strongly they want to display this exhibition. And um, for example, it's going to Atlanta to the High Museum um, opening on December 12th. And I'm working very closely with their team. It's been great and proactive. I'll be training 150 docents, um, working with the Atlanta public school teachers. And so, I think this is this is just very exciting. I just wish I could go there. Everything is virtual in the pandemic. Um, and then I've yeah. also got an exhibition opening here in Houston at our museum 
on November 21st. Um, and this is, uh, just happens to be coincidentally, um, a very, very important date for the museum. It's the opening of our kinder building for modern and contemporary art. So I feel very honored that uh, my small exhibition will open at the same time. But my, my exhibition is actually um, on blue and white ceramics. It's called Between Sea and Sky, Blue and White Ceramics from Persia and Beyond. And so I started with the Hossein Afshar collection, um, one subset of it is a very important collection of um, blue and white ceramics from 17th century Iran. Um, and it's, it's given us a great opportunity to really study the conversation between um, Iran and China. So when we think of blue and white, we often think of, you know, the amazing Ming Chinese porcelain ceramics. And in academia, this has been the kind of the well-trodden um, route for study. So I really wanted to give some of the understudied um, Persian angle because it, it was you know, right from the very beginning, it was the cobalt from Iran um, that was often used uh, in China. So there's this back and forth conversation of trade and works produced. Um, and instead of just limiting to this conversation, I wanted to expand it out to our other collections, really have it be cross-collectional because we have fabulous house museums. Um, we've got Bayou Bend for American and actually English Delft um, ceramics, and then Rienzi for Delft as well and other European um, blue and white ceramics, and then our Asian collections. And our Sarah Campbell Blaffer collection has a readaware from Japan and our modern and contemporary blue and white works. So I'm very excited um, that it will open on the 21st of November. Well, I'm, I'm really excited listening to you describe it, and, and I can hardly wait. And will this be available to view It will be available to view um, in person. We have been open since May 23rd. Um, we, we, we were the first major art museum in the United States to reopen, and we've been open continuously ever since. Um, Gary Tintero and our entire museum have done an amazing job of making sure that we have a safe environment and it's nearly a contactless experience. Um, from getting your tickets uh, on your phone, uh, doors are open for you, we have extra cleaning staff, masks are mandatory. And it, it's been really wonderful um, to go back into the galleries and see guests in the galleries and, and people are just you know, grateful that we are open and um, you know, doing our utmost best to remain open in a safe environment. Yeah, what a great place to be in a museum during this time of uh, anxiety and It's really, um, that's it's so, so important what you just said. It's, um, and we've had many, many comments from guests that, you know, thank you for this um, being open because it is in an atmosphere of calm and reassurance and, you know, a bit of respite from everything that's going on in our world. You've talked about your role as a curator, and I wanted to ask you if you had any advice to offer to someone who's thinking about becoming a curator in the field of Islamic arts. That's a arts. great question. Um, so I would say study as much as you can. 
travel as much as you can. Right now, that's a bit challenging, but travel uh, digitally online as much as you can. There's great material out there. Um, the traditional route would be after your bachelor's degrees to go on and get a master's and then a PhD in art history focusing on Islamic art. And I think it's important um, to expand beyond our art history, take as many history courses as you can. Um, world art history, uh, languages are very important as well. And then avail yourself as much as you can um, of opportunities, whether they be internships, um, short-term positions, um, and then reaching out also to curators in the field to ask for more ad advice. Um, that's, that's, that's what I would say. Thank you so much, Dr. Froome, for sharing all this wonderful information. And before we end, can you tell us if the Islamic galleries at the uh, Museum of Fine Arts Houston can be viewed virtually for those who might not be in Houston and are in other parts of That's the country? That's a great question. So on our website, we have um, a portion of our permanent collection on our e-museum. And what I'm actually working on right now um, is the digital portion of our blue and white exhibition between sea and sky, uh, blue and white ceramics from Persia and beyond. This is the exhibition I mentioned that opens on the 21st of November. And we're, we're trying to, we're following your lead where we're um, trying to record podcasts uh, of objects and then do a virtual tour so stay tuned and check out our website thank you again for taking the time to be on the podcast we really appreciate it and i know we're all going to be looking forward to the upcoming exhibit and the opening of the new building at MFA thank you so much Shemin, and i'm just so deeply impressed by your work um, please uh, keep it up and i look forward to learning more Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like more information on Islamic arts in the U.S. and would like to connect with a community of artists, please check out Islamic Art Society's website. That's www.islamicartssociety.org. You can also follow them on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and their YouTube channel. I invite you to join me for the next episode as we continue to connect with artists that are doing amazing work in the field of Islamic arts here in the U.S. Until then, please take care and stay safe.